Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, movie lovers, Dimitri Pados here for Popcorn Talk Network's Anatomy of a Movie. So if you've been searching for that movie show to talk about searching, well, you found us right here. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now. Here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Hey again, movie fans. Dimitri Panos here for Popcorn Talk Network's Anatomy of a Movie. And you've searched all your life for the the greatest movie show dissecting movies. (laughs) And you have now found us. And today we are actually talking about searching the movie. So, along with me is my fantastic co-host. We've been doing this for like five years, folks. Yeah. Five yeah. years. September for- 2013 is when yep, we started. Yep. And and like 450 shows under our belt. Mm-hmm. We're almost into syndication. <laughs> One would think we like movies. <laughs> One would think that we like movies. And, uh, and today's unlike uh, any other day, we're here to talk movies along with you. Uh, before we get along with the show, you should know that we are very spoiler rich. And in a movie like Searching, uh, that's important. I-, I will. And I know, Marissa, you're going to back me up on oh, this. Yeah. If you have not seen Searching... Do not watch our show, because I think part of what makes Searching what it is, is the fact that you don't know. Yeah, it's the adventure. Yeah, it really is. It really, yeah. So, uh, tune out, go see the movie, come back. We are up forever in in posterity, because we're on perpetuity. perpetuity And yeah, yeah, we're just up there. So, I got to tell you that right now. If you haven't seen the movie Click off our show as much as I hate to tell people to leave us, but you really should see the movie first and come back because yeah. then you'll enjoy the conversation. Go all that search much more. for this movie in yes. the theater. Yeah, watch it, then come back and search for us. Search for us. Talking yeah. about searching, and then you'll enjoy the conversation so much more, and you won't be pissed off when you say. They ruined the movie. Yeah, spoiler! Right, <laughs> you now. have been warned. And for those people who are who have uh, coming back and who have seen the movie. Welcome. And uh, so, Marissa, five years, 550 shows. Uh, We always start off pretty much the same way all the time. Mm -hmm. What did you think of Searching? I really enjoyed it. Um, I I heard from other people before I went to go see this film that it was really good. I was like, all right, I'm all in. I like a good thriller. Uh, I, I think what the movie does so well, it's so in today's modern society of technology that you can accept it and appreciate it for what it is. Will it age well? Maybe not, knowing how advanced technology gets so fast. 
Um, so in 20 years, is it going to be like mind boggling? Probably not. But for what it is and what it accomplished, amazing. Awesome. And it had a good storyline with emotional beats underneath. There was a lot of humanistic qualities that I appreciate in a good story um, for movie going. I really enjoyed it. I went into it not really expecting everything that, like, I didn't know what to expect more so. Mm-hmm. And then I went out and I was like, wow. Yeah. Wow. Great film. More people need to see this. Yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with you. I, I think this is a really good movie. I'm going to answer your question too because I think it's a very I think it's a very good question. I think it's a great con- uh, question for conversation. But I actually looked at this movie and I, I see this movie. I think it's a I think it's a really great mystery. And that's what it is. Yeah. It's a modern day original mystery. Uh, I think the best. Uh, that I've seen, and again, I'm I'm specifying and making it a point to put it out there all blocks original mystery uh, since like movies like Brick, uh, and the reason why I say that is we had like movies like Murder on the Orient Express, yeah. um, which know, was a remake, which was a remake, and it's based off a book. Same thing with Girl with the Dragon Tattoo; it's based right. off a book. This isn't really based off of a book or anything. It's an original mystery, and it has. Everything mystery lovers love. I mean, you have suspense. Uh, it's not a horror movie. It was sort of built that way, but it's not a horror movie. But it, but it definitely has that suspense. It's a good pot boiler. It has red herrings throughout the entire Literally. movie, and there are smart red herrings, and it has good twists. Uh, you mentioned humanistic. Couldn't, couldn't, oh, yeah. couldn't agree with you more there. Um, when <laughs> prior to walking in here, we were talking about last week's movie. We were talking about the Oof. Happy Time Murders, and I said I was going to make a comparison because one thing that I think is very special about searching is when you break it down, uh, you see the trailer and such. It's a gimmick movie. The gimmick being you're watching everything from a computer or a tablet screen or a television monitor, something like that, right? There's an artistic flair to it that other films usually don't It's almost like watching a live version of like a Dateline. Yeah, that's Uh, what everyone's comparing this film to. But the interesting thing here is the gimmick only works because it has a very strong, taut, engrossing story. The story brings you in. To answer your question, 10 years from now, the story is still going to work. The story is what drives this, not how I'm watching it, which was clever, okay? Unlike Happy Time Murders, which too is a gimmick movie, the story was so weak, the gimmick does not work. So Mm -hmm. I can use this comparison today to say where it failed on one hand, here, a gimmick really works because you're engrossed. It really draws you in. You forget that you're looking, that this is a movie being shown to you via TV screens and whatever because it's done so clever and you're engrossed in the story. Right, and it still pulls you in as a viewer, as Absolutely. an audience member. And I think it does well because our society in the demographic that is currently watching this film is already used to watching those type of screens. So... We're used to our eyes going a million different places on one location of a screen, going to FaceTime, going to Skype, going to X, Y, and Z Messenger, you know? Like, we're used to having at least three to four windows open on one monitor. Right. So watching it in a movie, 
we're actually conditioned to do it already. Yeah, we are. Um, but here's the thing, too, is that it uses today's technology of, uh, let's just call it modern day communication, because that's what it is. It's, mm-hmm. it's via uh, FaceTime chat. It's via social media. Uh, the way in which John Cho's character was trying to find his missing daughter, Morgo, was all through these these various today social media, social media platforms. So, yes, it is a sign of today, but I take it a step further because I really thought that the story was so strong that as a mystery, like, mm-hmm. it'll work 10 years from, for, from now for someone who first sees it. And um, I, I really thought that it was a. I thought I thought it was a really brilliant exercise. Really, I really did. I really walked out of the movie going, "Wow, I just saw something very good." Right, and this is a movie where the execution works. Perfect. Where I said last week on Happy Time Murders, we're going to make that Doesn't. comparison. The execution was not there, and yeah. this is a movie that was so planned out with the story, with visuals, with everything, and we'll definitely get into it. This is a movie with. A great solid concept and a great solid execution. Yeah, it really was. And it didn't have an ending that I felt cheated. No. I bought it. Yeah. I bought it. It was earned. It very it well earned. earned. And and it was earned from the way that it was written, earned from the way everything was performed. I think John Cho, uh very versatile actor to begin with, but I think he really uh this is a movie that stands that that he has to shoulder himself and i think it's one of his best performances of his career um we already know he can do comedy a lo- you know harold and kumar he's great right he's he has american good chemistry. i'm gonna take american, it back to american yeah Pie. <laughs> i mean he has good chemistry with people and in this movie it looks like he has good chemistry with the people that he works with and around whether behind or in front of the camera really solid he took everything seriously you can tell uh, but everybody in this movie, I think, really helped with that, too. Every The performances are strong. Part of why you get drawn into this story, like what happened, it wasn't cheap, earned. Right, and that's the thing also with this film is that if you think about it, we only see maybe about five people like, oh, yeah. with like, <laughs> actual speaking roles that play a pivotal part in the movie. Like maybe generally five people. That's not a lot. That's literally one, like you can count them on one hand. Whereas other films, it got so lost in an ensemble. Yeah. But with the short amount of cast that they had, they executed so much on screen. Yeah, they did. So, and I think that's a testament to the actors that they can convey so much and engross us into a story and the character development and relationship with everyone with so little people. Yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, I got to use the word, you probably hear the word engrossing a lot. But, you know, you can lose. Look, if the story wasn't there, you would lose interest. I don't care that I'm, I don't care. It's social media. I'd be like, yeah, all right, I get it. Face, okay, I get it. I'm not interested. But this brings you into such a way that you somewhat forget about what you're, these various technologies, and you're really pulled in to say, Wow, what's going on here? Who's ha- what's happening here? What's what's and then you go on the journey with the dad and with David and you feel his anger, you feel his frustration, his despair. And then they start throwing in these red herrings. And it, the, the movie just works. It's a good mystery. Yeah. And it comes to a very satisfying conclusion 
that I didn't like really dealt. And there are little things peppered here and there. So um, why don't we just start talking about some of this movie? Yeah. And about, about you well, know. Well, we can get into the development sure. of it. Uh, Timur Bekmambetov. Yes. He was one of the producers of the film Unfriended that came out yep. a few years ago. I believe you and Phil actually. Yeah, another movie on, that, on that, that. Yeah, another movie. And, and the sequel had just come out. It's another movie that uses modern, mm-hmm. like, modern social media tropes and using it as communications. Yeah, so, and yeah. so it was that production company. They wanted to make more projects like Unfriended and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And uh, they recruited Anish uh, Shigati, who was the director of this film, um, after they had seen his viral video that went up on Google. Like, he shot it all in Google last. It was called Seeds, and it went viral. Yeah, And uh, they liked the, like what he could do with technology, and they brought him... And oh, and Sev O'Hanahan, who was also co-writer of this film, in to to um, see what they can, you know, like pitch a story, and see what they can do with technology on screen. Yeah, and their whole their whole draw or what inspired them too is to do a, a hypermodern thriller told via the technology and the devices too. That's the other thing too. The devices being used uh, that we use every day to communicate, and not just by a phone, but by video. Video, this thing was used a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this this is turned into this mystery. I think it's really great that, uh, what's, is a Shiganti and Ohanian? Yeah. Okay, so they um, met at the USC film production class. Rohanian was a graduate teaching assistant, and Shigani was one of, was one of his. Uh, he calls him a strong student. Yes. <laughs> so you know, what's he going to do with his film partner? He's a weak student now. With his strong student, and he said Anish always had the best ideas, good work ethic, mm-hmm. uh, positive energy, inquisitive mind, and you just had the sense that he could do something great. So those are uh, actually, you know, when it comes to talent and putting it forward. Those three things, work ethic, positive energy, inquisitive mind, it's, it's all right there for you. So, um, student, yeah, so the, they partnered up. Yeah, creatively. they became writing partners. Yeah. And that's, that, that is so cool. Yeah, so. and uh, Shiganti, he, because of their, their short film, uh, Seeds, that went viral and was you know, six, so successful that Google actually hired him mm-hmm. to direct a bunch of Google commercials and yep. projects and stuff for two years. And yeah. then Shiganti actually left Google to make this film. Right. So yeah, Shiganti, he has a lot of experience within just modern day technology, like yep. Google and searching, and like he knows how to direct our <laughs> It's like Google so, and searching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see, it, it does go hand in hand. And so he already has the skill set of how technology works and on social media and how to properly look for things You're right and so visually he already had yeah. the ideas the yeah concept. and visually and the ideas but but the thing is too what's great about this movie is how it's used as a tool almost like a good special effect a good special effect is used right. as a tool it, it could make a movie better but the story is what counts right because ultimately what what i found really great about this movie is it's a father's journey about his daughter it, it actually okay well let's talk a little story too here 
you know, the movie opens up and it has uh, what many are calling an up moment. Because we're oh, definitely an up. That's all I thought of. Uh, right. And Disney uh, Pixar's up. Yeah, Disney Pixar's up. Uh, look at that. That that hit me hard. Anything, anything where there's a loss of life of a loved one due to a cancer. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, you know, I didn't know that it was part of the story. I'm like, oh, okay. I can't run away from those movies. It's not advertised. If it is advertised, I usually do go the other way right. <laughs> for obvious reasons. But they draw you in. And then it's about father. Sure and then it's a, then it's a, <laughs> well, you, then you should watch the movie, Siri. Darn it, Siri. <laughs> um, so it, it, like, then it becomes father daughter relationship. And uh, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. and it's a very emotional beat. Okay. It brings you in. And I liked how it was a father and, and trying to salvage this relationship or nurture it. And at the end of the day, he's like, I don't know my daughter. And it wasn't because of technology. Like, and that's yeah. what I love about this movie. It wasn't because of the technology that's being used. It's because how he closed himself off. And then we see through very various- How she closed herself Correct. off, too. And I think the brilliance of this film is that the whole importance of connectivity and disconnectivity. Mm-hmm. Because we always say social media and all this technology, it's actually uh, been conducive to our disconnect with actual human emotions, how we can't have normal conversations face-to-face with face people. To face, right. But also, yes, that is a weakness in society now, but this film also uses it as a strength to help search for the people that you're looking mm-hmm. for. So, yeah. yes, it was a weakness. And, like, you can tell that she used it for her. She was trying to find herself. Sure. Search for her happiness, whatever. Yeah. Um, via the technology and social media. But also, it showed us how disconnected she was from everybody else. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and again, it, it's a very humanistic it's a very, it's a highly well it's a very humanistic approach and that's what really drives you in and it's not because of the technology and it wasn't that I was finding that they were disconnected technology played you could argue that technology played a part in it but it's because of the situation they each closed themselves down from one another and opening themselves up to the feelings that they felt it wasn't that they had any lack of love it was just how do you compartmentalize this I found those aspects of this movie to be tremendous. Um, also, it helps with character building. No kidding. That they didn't fully establish the character of of Margot because we don't know who she is. The yeah. audience isn't supposed to know who she is. Therefore, all the twists that come in, we're like, we don't know what to expect because we don't know this person. Right. It, she could have ran away. She could have been abducted. She could have been X, Y, and Z only because we only know snippets of her life. We yeah. don't know her personally. Yeah, and from a, from a script construct, I mean, it really works because introduced as a family, they're all happy and loving and we're seeing all this via video video flashback mm-hmm. uh the up moment happens it's very emotional and then you see that father and daughter can communicate but and it seems like happy-go-lucky ish like the way that they're texting to one another you know hey what did you forget today and he takes a picture and blah blah, right. blah you know so and then when she starts to become distance. And and again, this happens within the first 15, 20 minutes of the movie, if not sooner, right? Yeah, first like 10, 10 15 minutes. minutes, yeah. 
And when that night comes where he boozes it up, David drinks a little, takes a sleeping pill, and he goes to sleep. And then you see that Margot tries calling three mm-hmm. times, FaceTime, t- whatever. As the audience member, that's when you you're go. like, oh, crap, something's oh, exactly. happening. Exactly. And then you're, you're, you're drawn in. And by that time, I'm not even paying attention or I forget that I'm watching these screens. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then, then our mystery unravels, starts to unravel. And using searching modes, mm-hmm. get, trying to find who her friends are, trying to find. And, and there's these little pieces of the puzzle. Did you notice by, by any chance, and I think it's very important, I think it was done on purpose, so there was a picture of Marga when she was going into high school and she was standing in front of the name of the high school. Mm-hmm. And at the bottom, you know, how like high schools will always say, A and you know, A and B, you know, A B high school, home of the badger. Yeah. Or the this did you notice what it said in the bottom? No. It said so and so high school, home of the catfish. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, huh. Okay. Well, you know, I I actually had a moment where I thought it was a catfish moment. Yeah. And we did get kind of a catfish sort moment. Sort of kind of, right? I thought that was going to be like the like the main twist was like, okay. oh, it's definitely catfishing. Yeah. Something That's, something happened to it because of a catfishing. That was right. We got that, a snippet of that. You got a snippet I was like I was kind of, of right. <laughs> right. I wasn't kind of I wasn't wrong. But right. It wasn't full I wasn't fully correct though. Yeah, and and again just the strength of the script. This catfish has a mascot. Well, I think, yeah, well, I mean, well, I think that was like that's heavy-handed. Why it, that's why it stuck out because it says home of the catfish. What <laughs> catfish? What do you fry it? Like, right. like that just leaves your school like, open to too catfish much. Catfish isn't tasty. <laughs> <laughs> it can be with the right, right seasoning. I but anyways, um yeah, I just found that that was I found it to be humorous and ironic, considering that this is a movie that's, you know, all based on communicating via social type of platforms. Right. So, um, and I really do think, too, you know, the prologue of Searching, it, it does guide through video chats. Calendar entries were very important in this movie as well. Home movies that were shot on phone Mm -hmm. right and it really does we get that's the other cool thing is that we did get a sense of Margot through all of that we got a sense of the girl becoming the teenager and so we too are going along this family's journey you know and i really liked how that was set up because again it's an unorthodox way of doing it it's a different way but yet we're still, it's like, oh, okay, look at this family. And and the parents love their daughter so much. I think it was it was very smart how they did this, like, right? say, 14, 15-year timeline. They yep. started literally at the at the birth yep. uh, of Margot, and then, like, year by year. And you can see the moments of the relapse with the mother and, like, this year. And even just the, the subtle effect of when right. you talked about the calendar dates, like, uh, mom comes home on this day, they moved it to another day, then they eventually deleted it. Like, you know, yeah. it didn't happen. Sure. Um, something like that was very effective emotionally paired right. with the music, and right. we'll get into music too. Yeah. But uh, I think it was just done so effortless, effortlessly I, I that you under- you clearly understood what was happening already in this quick timeline of establishing a family. Yeah. So, and Shigani 
and Huninian. I, I don't want to mess up Huninian. You know, they were they're actually the way that they just came up with that opening scene. They they basically pitched it to each other. They almost came up with the idea at the same time through their communication via text. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And and it ended up being, and they even call it themselves, the opening scene in the movie Up. We thought that approach translated through screen life. And lo and behold, it did. Yeah. And it could create characters, people that we cared about. And so it's it's great that these young filmmakers are being inspired by previous very good works of film, by the way, like Up. And yeah, saying, well, how can we repurpose and do this in a in a current way today that's not animation? But it also, works. you can tell a lot about someone's personality via their desktop, too. And like, and I love when they went back to the Windows XP, because I had Windows XP for years. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'm very familiar with this <laughs> user interface, so I actually enjoy that. But the different profiles, and I think they use that to a great effect, too, because you, you had the mother, you yeah. had Margot's personal, you had the father's. And I, I think it was it's really cool because every time you went into some different pr- profiles, you get like different pictures, different backgrounds. One's messy desktop, one's another clean one. So you can even it's like going into someone's purse. Yeah, you can understand like who that person is. Sure, going into someone. I don't have one, but yeah, yes. but you know what I mean. <laughs> I but do. like going into someone's personal profile sure, on their computer, absolutely. you get a, a clear understanding of who this type of person is. Absolutely. Well, it was that opening segment that actually helped convinced John Cho um, that this screen life storytelling experiment might work. He said the bulk of the work is done in that opening montage. And if that speaks to you, if that gets you, then you're in. And absolutely correct. And, uh, you know, he goes on, he goes, then you're in and you accept the premise of the movie because you know who that family is. And, Again, I, I think the opening is extremely important mm-hmm. um, to to the events that happen in this movie. And again, you, you know, when we t- we always talk we talk a lot of Pixar movies here too, and many of them will have a, high, a big emotional beat at the beginning of the movie. Oh yeah, um, like Up or even Coco or something. Because you're trying to for, right. for those films, not to constantly make the comparisons, but those films. A lot of kids are watching mm-hmm. it. So you have to get the kids' attention quickly. Right. And if you don't, then you, like, what's the point of watching the rest of the film? So right. if you don't get their, grab their attention in the first 10 minutes, then right. and you have really to, no right. other point. And, but what I, what, I, what I respect about these filmmakers and writers here is that they, they, didn't, they didn't want you to be brought in by the technology. They wanted you to be brought in by the story. Mm-hmm. They knew that they were using this as a tool, but what's strong? It's the character development. But also, they also established that Margot was such a happy kid. Yes. Seemingly happy person growing up oh, with absolutely. her seemingly happy family. They were, they, but they were, when you say there was, they were a happy family. Oh, yeah. Until tragedy strikes. It changes people. But very realistic. Very realistic. Uh, I really, yeah, I really uh, enjoyed that. And I was, well, I was hooked. I mean, I had an emotional, I get it, got it, it, understood it. it. I was like, all right. And then the movie starts to go on and I'm, you know, but I understood what was fantastic is you understood David's grief, mourning, pain, anger, confusion, fear of every single thing that he was 
going through mm-hmm. of the emotions that he had to do. And that goes to uh, that goes to John Cho. He was, he was so fantastic, I thought, in this movie. So, um, so in any ways, to prepare for the shoot, Shigani borrowed a system. He used a Google called prototyping. So, and that's a similar to motion picture industry for previs process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in prototyping, they created a version of the project ahead of time with a lot of temp footage and material uh, that they gathered on their own. So, Anish had been used to that kind of a workflow from working at Google, doing all this stuff. Right. He just used what he was comfortable with. And I find that, too, is like you using your talents you're thinking out of the box. You're using your previous experience to go on, gain new experience. You're doing something new. I, I really find that that's really cool. So it's a new way of doing previs. We we talk about previs a lot oh, so on this show. Often. Yeah, their entire <clears throat> mock-up, this is how far in advance that they thought about this film. They edited or they hired their editors seven weeks in advance did an actual shot-by-shot mock-up of, like, the framing mm-hmm. and blocking of where computer screens right. would be and and even went through blocking heavy hand, uh, like heavily with John Cho to make sure that his eye line was right. in the correct places wherever the mouse clicked it's because they were recording his eye line in, in real time. So they had to think of everything. This is where, say, the FaceTime is on the left side of the screen. Your eyes has to be here. So, right. like... Just to that detail, they could have like mirrored images, whatever, into yeah. like to cheat that. But no, in real time, recording his eyeline for every click he's moving the mouse. Wow! I'm gonna tell you. I want to talk about a scene because you you mentioned blocking, and I was thinking of this while watching this movie because there's a great scene that takes place in David's house, John Cho. I believe it was David's house mm-hmm. where he set up multiple security cameras. This is where he's going to confront his brother, yeah. one of the red herrings of the movie, right? And mm-hmm. it's supposed to be this tense scene, and we're going from kitchen to here to the living room and this. And that scene does not work unless it is rehearsed over and over, and it becomes muscle memory for the two actors right. because they have to hit marks because you've got so many cameras recording what's happening I really That's thought like that, that live was live theater. I you only have one scene. location you have to hit every mark. <laughs> I thought it was a great scene. And again, I'm not paying attention to how I'm watching it. I'm paying attention to the story. And that that was a tense scene. Do you agree? Like that, oh, that's, you know the scene I'm talking yeah. And I think it, it just <clears throat> adds with anxiety because this is like one of the first twists in the movie where you're like, oh, crap. You could, you, maybe now you're sus- suspecting the brother right. because I think because I do watch a lot of Criminal Minds. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just have the aforementioned like knowledge of like a lot of abductions. Right are generally done by people you know within your inner circle, within right. your your close friends or your family. And right. when they went as close to a brother, I was like, oh, shoot, it could be him. So I just already yeah. had this anxiety that it could be a family member. That's an emotional twist. And, and it was something so, it was such a serious type of situation where you think it could be sexual. Um, I know. And it's, it, it, it's, disgusting and and you know what what was great is the way in which it built the information that we're given as the audience and david is given the way he finds it 
And it, like I said, it's one of the biggest, if not the, the biggest, it's one of the biggest red herrings in the movie because it really throws you off because this is what you're being led to believe. And this is how a mystery works. You're eating up all the bed. They're tossing breadcrumbs down for you. Mm-hmm. They are like, they're purposely misleading you, but you're eating the breadcrumbs all the way and you're buying a hook, line, and sinker. And you're like, oh, my God, he did this. And then when you find out what it was about, where the audience's mind, where your mind, your my mind goes, well, it was originally going, and then it was all about, oh, she just wanted to smoke pot. You're like, oh. And, and, <laughs> and what's also brilliant about that, that was- they already established that in the beginning yes. moments with his brother, yeah. that there was a big pot of weed and we're like okay he like he's a pothead all right but but even like as as subtle as that establishment for a character was it still ties back to this scene yeah you're like yeah that was that was already set up absolutely and again that's why uh from a story standpoint a screenplay standpoint Mm -hmm. I, i felt that that red herring was brilliant you i didn't feel cheated at all you brought me to a place, and then I'm like, oh, oh, damn, we've we haven't figured this out. Right, it was only pot. <laughs> we got to find something. Also, that scene immediately leads you into the next twist. Right, absolutely. Because they're <laughs> you know they're sitting on a couch now, and literally the phone is calling. Like we got him, we got, we got him. him. Like oh no, what's next? What's happening? So it leads us into the next, yeah, the it, next into big the twist. next conflict. Yeah, yeah. and and so. Um, uh, we will talk a little bit too about um, Deborah Messing, who plays the, um, the, the detective the, Vic. The detective Vic. She was brilliant. She was, and and again, she's uh, mostly known for comedy, mm-hmm. right? I've so, seen a lot of. I've seen her in a lot of drama. Actually, yeah, and, so. and she comes to, does this movie um, again. She was taken in by the script, hadn't seen it you know she said it hadn't she said it didn't read like anything she had read before and and she's she also said like another thing that really drew her Mm. in was that she is a mother and just the the characteristic of like losing her child she she's she couldn't like really she's like all right this feeling that that is something that drew her in just the the she responded that aspect of no. character development just the thought of losing your child yeah and and she goes on she, she 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 goes on saying like so yeah the script is different everything's different but she had no idea how different things were until her first day on set where, where she found it to be the most shocking because she had a scene with john and they were never in the same room Mm-hmm. Together, she goes. It was incredible. Like, I was in one room with a laptop and a GoPro right on laptop, and he was on the other side of the house with his own laptop and his own GoPro. We we're actually able to do the scene in real time with this video link, and that's and John's in her ear. Yeah, and I think that that's 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 again you showing up to set. It's like wait, oh okay, and. Again, movie magic because they were in in the movie. They were in two separate locations. Yeah. I just like two that they were different houses. I like that they were on set in a house, mm-hmm. and one's just on one side, the others on the other. That's great. I mean, talk about micro macro budgeting, right? And she also said that was as, that was also challenging for her as an <clears> actress because she's so used to being with the next actor 
face to face because mm-hmm. you know you play off of each other. But when you're playing off of your actor via computer screen, that there adds that disconnect yeah. to the, just the acting behavior of her. Yeah, absolutely. So she she actually found that challenging. Yeah, it's it's um, yeah. It, to your point, like. Uh, when you're an actor too, and John Cho would be no stranger to the, to acting against green screen, um, particularly you know Star, Star Trek, Trek and such, right? So, but doing it this way, where you aren't in the same room, but you are interacting, uh, yeah, I could see how at, at, at first a little unsettling. Like you just got to get into the rhythm get of the flow, much like the audience gets into the rhythm of the flow of this movie pretty quickly. So yeah, and they and she did a really good job. She did a she she yeah. did a really good job. Yeah, I, I uh, and the establishment of her character was also very interesting too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you caught it. Which I had which, some inklings when like they when she first introduces herself as Detective right, Vic, right. and um, he David is like looking up the first top three links of her, right? Of, like to to check out her credibility and the picture of her in the cons. Um, I personally, I was like, that's a very creepy picture. And she wasn't smiling. And I, I've, I don't know for those who I tend, I like to think I'm a very fast reader. So I was reading the, the tag. I mean, I didn't, I missed catfish earlier, but I, <laughs> I was reading the, the, the subtext underneath yeah. the picture. Oh, okay. It was like working with cons and stuff. Right. I'm just, I just instantly thought i was like that's a very creepy picture of a bunch of guys yeah and she's not smiling working with cons that's red flag for me yeah she was a very straight-faced yeah no nonsense excuse me um character and um, she seemed like and just the, the establishment of a character uh, like she did a really good job of like i'm going to help you through this we're going to find her x y and z like right. you believed her you, you did you, I mean, again, this is a trope in movies. Oh, uh, we, we we saw it um, recently in uh, that science fiction movie that we did earlier in the year. Like, it's a trope in movies, like where the main character who's trying to figure out like why his wife or daughter went missing or got murdered. Annihilation. Annihil- not annihilation. Mm-hmm. It was um, upgraded. Upgrade. Upgrade. All right, upgrade. So All remember, right. like, the guy was coming to the cop going, how come you're not, you know, you got to be working on this more. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's a that's a familiar trope in, in a revenge type of a movie or a movie or like where someone's gone missing. like to the authority figure, be like, and, why can't you do more? Yeah, and exactly. And they used it here, but I felt, to your point, Messing's Detective Vic seemed to be a little bit more sympathetic and that you actually did feel that she was trying to unearth or, or lift up every stone. There was, there was always no stone unturned well, mm-hmm. until we get to the end, of course. <laughs> but, yeah. but I believed her. Um, and in fact, I think one of the hardest things, too, was, uh, you know, the scene where she has to tell David, like, you, you, you got to step back. Like, you're done. Like, I can't. You're too emotionally you're, you're involved. You're too emotionally involved. Because David, in essence, became a detective. Mm-hmm. Which, too, is intriguing in a mystery. That's a great trope when you're regular, everyday guy. Hitchcock uses it. Is thrown into something that that person on his own, who doesn't have those skills, have to figure things out. Yeah. 
And the scene at the movie theater, which I thought was... Right. You know, and it's like you yeah, broke going the berserk. kid's jaw. Like, you're off. You're off. She basically says you're off the case. Well, like, <laughs> that could be actually now a legal problem with right. assault. <clears throat> right. And you go, wow, he just shot himself. Like but you understood why. Yeah. And again, it's another red herring in the movie. Like, that mm-hmm. was yet another red herring that we're, we're thrown off the scent because of this kid. Now, when you detach the father... Right. You're left all alone. Yeah. So, um, but that, then I was really believing her. She goes, you're screwing up my case. I'm trying to get this done. You're off. Mm-hmm. So like that, that was like, oh. And it made her out to be the good person. It did. You're like, yeah, it's yeah, like, listen to the woman. Listen to her. Because she is trying. That's what you get the sense. That character is trying to help David along. Yeah. No. So, uh, I like that. We should talk, too, about... Um, well, we should Michelle La, who plays Margot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she too was really good. I felt for <clears throat> her use when she becomes the teenager and she's in high school, and we see her in the flashback. Right at first, as an audience, we view her okay as a typical teenager, a little bit rebellious. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, Oh, yeah, Dad, I got to go. You know, that sort of kind of thing. I got study class or whatever. Study group. So, um, but I thought that uh, Michelle played her pretty well, you know, for the time that she's on Right, and she's not on screen all that much. But you can tell that, like, she loves her father. She is a fairly obedient person. But then when you go through all of her social media Mm -hmm. accounts and whatnot, and especially that, that you cast... Right. Website that we see all of her you personal cast, videos. Yeah. You're like, okay, she's a very isolated, lonely girl, yeah, like most teenagers. But like to a point where she's so isolated and so cut off from people that you actually worry about what she's capable of. And I'm glad you brought that up because we are well. A lot of people you become insulated by social media that that becomes your uh world it becomes your world but it also becomes like people get depressed if they don't get enough likes on certain things Mm -hmm. and people broadcast themselves out there uh for the attention to do the attention you know like she was doing on that ucast and then she found people to talk to um so, and hence the catfishing part comes yeah. in. <laughs> Another in. red herring. Another one. See, this is Another where my catfishing was. I was like, I don't believe this. I don't trust oh, this at all. I didn't either. Fish yeah, and chips. Yeah. Fish and chips. Fish and chips. Yep, yep. So, I really found that aspect. Well, number one, it, it does say a lot about today and potentially going forward. But you did get the sense that she was alone. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why she's doing this. She wanted to feel when she connected with somebody, she felt it was more of a real connection, fish and chips, than right. say with her dad. And well, and she was also talking about her mother's death and stuff. So it's seeming mm-hmm. seems like stuff she, he she didn't want to talk about with her father, but she could talk to complete strangers yeah. about. It was therapeutic for her. Yeah, and even going through her Instagram and seeing all her photos, the places she likes to go, Serenity. Her right. happy place. Right. A lot of people always post people like pictures of happy places. Right. 
you know, or, you know, just picturesque places that like make you feel yeah. something. And that's where we are introduced to fish and chips. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're like, ooh, okay. Uh, yeah, and, and the thing is, it's like we fall for that. That's why I say it's strong. You fall for every single one. Like, ooh, who's this fish and chips? What the? Wait, she's not even in the state <laughs> or, or whatever. Like, right, dude, Pennsylvania. But yeah. Um, and the but search. also, uh, I'm Go sorry, Nancy, no, because no it throws it with the the red herring gimmick. She had red with hair. F- fish and chips <laughs> was a red herring. I didn't even think about that. I was like, oh yeah, that is literally a red herring. <laughs> And I thought that was pretty smart. Yeah, yeah. Home of the catfish. So um, not only was it smart, but the way, <coughs> pardon me, it ended up being repurposed. Because in a sense, mm. she really is a red herring. Because the, the person was a stock, a stock, what do you call it? A stock photo, photo model. model. <coughs> Forgive and you're me. like, oh, she could be anywhere. She could be anywhere. Anywhere, anyone. And then when you find out what it is, you're like, oh my God. Well, she was still being catfished, but it was In like a way. double catfish. <laughs> um, like, she was, someone was using her identity. Somebody was using, well, Somebody was using her one of her stock as pictures an, as to pretend identity. to be this. I this fish and chips, and I can honestly say I didn't really, I didn't see it coming. Like to your point, like you you mentioned something about Detective Vic, mm-hmm. but trying to piece it together, I was like trying to figure out, okay, but why would she, what was her motive? And then when we learn the motive. As a mother, the opposite of what what, what John did. So David is a father. He's trying to find his daughter. He's in anguish. She, as a mother, was only trying protecting to save her, her son. Her son, right? You understood the motive. Yeah, and you I think it. like the ex. You can say that quote unquote exposition scene was also very well done. Absolutely, as static camera as it is when she's giving her confession. Also brilliant, too, because it shows that we saw the son, like, just little glimpses, literally glimpses of him. Um, But it played well, too. Like, he's also an awkward kid dealing with social media. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And you're like, yeah, that's also very believable. And he had liked her for months, a long long time. time. A long time. How to approach, he didn't know how to approach her. You know, and that too, the, you know, that that is a sign of the times. Um, and I don't know if it'll get any better because a lot of people who are hiding behind social media, they find life to be awkward. How do you approach, how do I approach this girl that I'm attracted to that I like? I mean, you're in high school. You're supposed to be attracted yeah. to somebody or something. But with this and being so, uh, again, you're in this cocoon it's that becomes more of real reality than trying to reach out, and the best way he can do it was he made up a he made up a, a an avatar yeah. of himself, fake so name, fake yeah. account, just to talk to her. Yeah, so I, so I was like, oh my god, oh okay, oh my god. Um, but and also the, very believable. <laughs> it was believable. Like again, I didn't feel cheated at all, <clears throat> and you know, I guess. You know, I mean, Detective Vic went to some pretty extreme measures, which includes murder. Yeah. Um, 
you know. Right. So okay, and, and to so go, go to the the guy, the ex-con that she hey, right got involved with this as like first of all, super creepy. I mean, mm-hmm. testament to the guy, not like dissing his looks or whatever. The actor, yeah, but, he, like, he the, was. the actor, he, but he really the good. way that they shot him, uh-huh. he looked like a deranged maniac. Oh, he did. That could pull off a murder. He did. For uh, an innocent year old girl. And you we're always seeing in the news like people getting killed left and right by Absolutely. completely random crazy guys. Sure. And he he fit the billing and how he was actually his character was actually looking at the camera, looking at the audience, mm-hmm. burned into my memory. I'm like, oh, that's a face I don't want to forget. Like, yeah. I, like I just want to forget now, but no. I can't. Um, I think they did that great. Paired up with the actual picture now of the yeah. ex cons, which I was like, ha ha! <laughs> I had a moment. Yeah, I was yeah. like, you see, I knew it. I knew that picture was shady. I knew it was a shady picture. Oh, classic, yeah. yeah. yeah I you was had like, your yeah, uh-huh there it is. Yeah. But like, I couldn't put two and two together <clears throat> just yet until they actually showed it for me. I was like, yeah, I kind of knew. Yeah, I had some inkling. Yeah, and, it, and you're right. It's it's about it's about how you piece it together, mm-hmm. right? And and sometimes individually you couldn't figure no. it out. And, when and, you put it together, you and, and again, we see a lot of movies. We talk a lot about movies, and sometimes if there's a, a twist that a movie relies on, sometimes we've said it here. I've said it many a time. We're like. You get the twist like two steps ahead. You like you're piecing it together. And you go oh, and so like sometimes <laughs> you get it about two steps ahead of the protagonist. It didn't happen here. Yeah. I didn't like. You're figuring it out as he's figuring as he's figuring it out. it out. And when he and when he figures it out, it's as much of a, a aha moment. You go, oh my god, she's a stock photo. What? Oh my god. It's like, like what's what? happening now? What's going on? What is happening here? Thing is I'm not sure I'd be so savvy as to <laughs> be on the computer to figure like some time. of the stuff out. Well, and also but, I think they did a great job also with the quick establishment of his, of the character David and his yeah. job. Yes. Like that is literally <clears throat> his job is to like finding numbers and searching. Like you can easily from that video conference call he was having at work, yeah. you can immediately establish he's a smart guy who knows technology. Yep. So and like apply those skills throughout the rest of the movie, you can believe his character sure. oh, is smart enough to pull this off. There wasn't a time I didn't buy anything that he or anybody else for that matter, but I didn't there wasn't a time where I didn't buy what he was doing. So I, right. I totally got that. So, you know, the one thing that we should talk about, too, is a, a side of directing, right? A lot of this movie is, um, you know, Juan Sebastian Barron is the cinematographer. And something need be said here because his work needs to be pointed out because it's not like he's setting up... Uh, Whenever we talk cinematography, Tripods we talk about and rigs and <laughs> yeah. But whenever we talk cinematography, too, is about oh my god, that looked beautiful. What mm-hmm. a beautiful shot, Roger Deakins. You know, he can film the sky Landscapes. and he can do action and whatever. But we're always talking about how a scene looks, and his he has to take a completely different tack because of how the movie is and. 
During the shoot, he had to juggle the technical and creative aspects of more than a dozen, a dozen recording devices used to film the movie. And each which revealed its own set of rules and constraints. And he found himself less occupied with lens choice or dolly movement, since most of the camera's recording were, were fixed. Were <laughs> so, static. And, and no attached movement. to a computer and mimicking surveillance optics. So um, it's funny, Baron and Shiganti, they, act, they too met at film school. Mm-hmm. And um, A lot of people who worked on this film are all well, USC, USC alums. Yeah, yeah. USC, yeah, sure. <laughs> so, um, so there was a lot of technology in house that helped them accomplish the look of the movie. Some of those FaceTime conversations they had engineered this rig with dummy laptops with GoPros attached to them and LED lights, and the kind of mimic a screen. And they all uh, go into the security camera switching system. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this Frankenstein contraption, <laughs> like that reference. But it really was the best way to solve the problem of doing scenes where actors are talking to each other via FaceTime. So, you know, again, we always talk about the responsibility, the creativeness of people. And yet, and we're talking about cinematography who had to approach this differently. And what the cinematographer had to do to capture scenes, shots, you know, for the editor, right. for the director, and the editor to put everything together. Also, so. like just the placement of <clears throat> the camera and and the lighting. Um, e- even Juan Sebastian Baron, he he said that for the lighting purposes, also because you know you don't get the best camera quality, True. visual quality when it comes to webcams and stuff like that. But he, he actually put a lot of thought into the lighting and mood of the yeah. rooms. Say, like, Margot's room, the like the the Christmas lights that were behind were strategically right. placed like to establish this is what she would like in her bedroom. Or even the the creepy ex-con murderer, <laughs> quote-unquote, that video, it's like that, that light was underneath his underneath him. Yeah. Shining up, making him look like a creep, um, with it with no shadows, right. uh, like well, shadows of the eyes and stuff, no eyes. Um, like the lighting, he he strategically placed to evoke emotion. Yeah, and, and to be able to film, and you know, it's interesting because uh, it, it was was it wasn't it Steven Soderbergh who earlier this year, or maybe it was last year, he um, he shot. Yeah, a movie entirely on like an iPhone, iPhone right? IPhone, so, yeah. and that's Sanity? funny because insane, insane. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And it their A camera here was actually Anisha's uh, personal iPhone, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we took the screen life technique up a notch. Uh, and Deborah was, Messing well, even had a GoPro in her hand yeah. when she the the scene where she gets the phone call and she's like moving oh, from room to room. Yeah. Like De- Deborah Massings actually has the camera in her hand. Moving. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Imagine the blocking on that. Like, like no, a little bit to the left. It's like when we get set up here, we're told where to sit. Right. <laughs> Move a little bit over here. Like, get no, your Deborah, you got to get your framing done. Um, you know, and because they didn't have thirty cameras, we had to break it down into types of cameras that could give us different looks and different styles that would be authentic. So, and and I believe they succeeded i mean everything everything about this movie didn't seem like a cheat it didn't seem like a special effect um it did seem real unauthentic to me oh yeah absolutely almost like we talked about dateline like watching something mm-hmm. yeah it, it had that it again you said it at the top of the show in a sense we're almost prepped 
we're, Not we're, almost, we're, but we're, they were prepped. We're conditioned to watch, even when we watch right. TV. Yeah. Right, and they, uh, Juan also said that they, he watched a lot of um, news footage of how right. a helicopter camera operators would right. capture footage being revealed to them in real time. Right. So when we got... The, the live footage, the aerial shots from the mm-hmm. so-called helicopter. Right. They framed it in a way that it would look like this would actually be on the news. Uh, right. And and a lot of it, you do feel that you are watching news, mm-hmm. uh, you know, w- w- watching a news story. So I found that to be, uh, you know, very realistic. And again, it was it was a tool that helps draw you in a little bit more, I felt. So what else? Uh, what else should we talk about? Um well, I, I I really enjoyed the music for this. Mm-hmm. Torn Borrowdale, he's also from USC. <laughs> um, he Surprise. worked with uh, Shiganti on uh, other projects, and he he's also um, he interned for Christopher Leonard's, who just did the music right. for the last for, film for that we just but, talked about. Um, but like the he's worked with Muppet yeah, the, he's also worked with James Norton Howard, was like brilliant christopher and leonard's ostimentary he's scored over 50 student projects so he he's and a lot of actual television series now so he has a lot of projects under his belt so to also work with usc alums too i I really enjoyed the the first score actually Mm -hmm. which we opened the show up to my favorite i actually listened to the whole soundtrack because i was really taken by the music and it's fantastic because the first score is very upbeat light yep um and in that type of emotional establishment. But then when you listen throughout the rest of the soundtrack, it does sound like a horror thriller soundtrack. Yeah, and it it's it's a great bed because it never it never becomes larger than what we're watching. Mm-hmm. It complements it perfectly. And because of that, it leads it 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 affords the audience to organically be on the edge of their seat. Or to be wrapped up in this story. So, and again, it's one of those things where the music complements the visuals in such a way that it, it it just adds to the tensity that can be happening, you know, in this movie. And it also denotes things are getting darker as we go along. So I thought that to be very, very uh, interesting. Um, you know, you talked about color uh, mm-hmm. and production designer uh, Angel Herrera. Uh, she talked about color too. Um, in er, er, production design, I mean, it could be a he. I'm sorry. Um, he try or we tried to assign specific palettes to each character so we can identify who we were talking to like immediately, not just from the actor, but the space, the feeling. And so, going to Margot's tones were greens, the yellows, yes. the soft cream colors. That we're mm-hmm. talking, so it's very, very deliberate. Warm. We also had a star motif, especially with her and her mother, sort of celestial reference. Her mother in the heavens and a metaphor of escape from Margot. Uh, whenever she was with her mother, we pushed the yellow color like a ray of sunshine with her father david who he stuck more with browns and reds uh his brother had a connection to his niece so he had a color palette similar to margo warmer greens yellows he's going on and we stayed in the blue hues for the detective um because she felt like a it's a cop color so it's very interesting you know you had brought it up before about the lighting and that how everything is so deliberate in this movie. And when I think back upon it, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I get it. 
Yep. A lot of thought went into this film. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I appreciated compared <clears throat> to our last film, which was Yeah, awful. again. I, I mentioned that like they didn't put a lot of thought into it. This one you could yeah, I appreciate the thought process. They they thought of every detail for this. Well, movie. well they did, and, and it was an attention to it was an attention to detail and story. So you know, they knew the concept that they were going to that that they were going to use to tell the story, the tool. But if you don't have a story, you ain't got nothing, kid. You got nothing, and you're not going to get me uh, to to to. You won't pull me in. So um, I also find that it's interesting that regarding editing, began seven weeks prior to production. With a totally blank timeline and worked with the niche taking pictures of space and sc- screenshotting web pages to yep. build out a kind of animatic. <laughs> yep. So they start seven weeks before production, meaning they haven't shot anything, but yet they're editing. They're already thing. visualizing how the screens are going to look. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> Shiganti also joked that he, this is what he said. He's like, we had a joke that a normal movie is pre-production, production, and post-production. Our movie is pre-post, post, post-post. Because <laughs> of, it only took 13 days to film right. all the actors and you know the locations for this film. Sure. It took a year and a half for the editing of I believe film. it. I, I mean, 13 I days it. compared to a year and a half of I editing. believe it. And, and because of that feat, like if I was Sony... I would be pushing that for like editing academy awards. Oh, absolutely. For the for the time spent, you know. So, um but they did love they used Avid. Um <clears throat> you know, we love Avid, but it would have been too weird of a workflow. So, we'd have been too locked in in the case of searching effects. Everything that didn't come straight out of a camera on set was an effect that we had to create. So, this is funny. So, say the top of the Google Chrome Mm-hmm. Had all had to all be created from scratch. We worked with an outside vendor named Neon Robotic. Tell them who they are to create some templates for us, and they were a huge help for building some of the more complex assets like the iMessage, Chrome, Chrome Docs, stuff like that. Yeah. But then, other than that, it was just me, Will, Adobe, After Effects, and another design tool, Illustrator, Illustrator. replicating everything. I, I love. <laughs> After Effects and Illustrator. I use them every single day here right. for our studios. And also, they, they said one of their biggest challenges was that um, editing and rendering, um, their computers kept crashing. They used two oh. iMacs. So, like, if you think about it, these guys are young. Shiganti is actually younger than me. And now it just makes me wonder what the hell am I doing with my <laughs> life to. He has a, a huge movie out in theaters, and I'm still here. You're <laughs> and, talking about so, the movie. That's right. Yeah, you know, slouch. But he's. They were working on two IMAX. Like, this could have been me editing. And they said every time they were rendering, their computers kept crashing. So, uh, like, it every time they had, like, a special shot, they were like, uh, they would tell their editors, come back in 20 minutes because it would take 20 right. minutes to render just one shot. Yeah, and like you said, it took over a year. There were two editors working full time. And even though they were working modern age of digital in nonlinear editing... The level of detail that they had to bring to each scene felt like we were cutting on an old moviola. <laughs> so even, so even, that's it's. Yep. Look it up. It's uh, it's not the way editing's done today. Um, so yeah, it, it's just you know we're, we're used to seeing things instantly because of sheer size of files and programs. 
You oh know. yeah, yeah. Come back. And in if an they're hour. using Avid on a regular iMac, yeah, I mean, no that, that's not like a Disney Pixar film where they have humongous hard drives right. that could take all the footage and render it properly. Right. They're doing it on regular computers. Yeah, yeah. And and I think and again, it, it plays to the authenticity of the movie, in which we understand today and I, and like this this technology this technology this technology it's not going it's not going away anytime soon right, right? and the mere fact that we can facetime with somebody in another country mhm i mean to me that star trek technology when they were able to put somebody up in the view screen on the enterprise who was on the planet while they're on the ship and they were able to talk and have a conversation that's happening today you know, with with video stuff. So I don't see that technology really... I see it getting better, perhaps, but I don't see it going away. And that's another reason why I don't think the movie will end up dating itself too too much, too drastically, say within 10, 20 years. Right. And you I, still get the good story. I only say that because, like, XP was the first thing we see <laughs> on the screen, and that's no longer in service. No. So just what we know as technology now... With the Microsoft and Mac and whatever, the desktop and whatever OS system you're using, that's not going to be there in 20 years. Yeah, and and it, it was funny that they were using the XP because as soon as I, I heard loved XP. That, see, it made me cringe <laughs> when I heard it. I was like, oh, <laughs> so I loved XP. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I think we've talked a lot about. Well, I think we've we've we've, we've done our. We've done our research yeah, on this of, movie. Of searching. Um, I got to give it to them though to to <clears> how <throat> this movie was even it was picked up at Sundance. Yeah, for five million dollars for world uh, world world rights. Right, and so you know another thing that was sort of unorthodox about this movie was its release pattern. Um, this movie had two releases. It had a limited release on August twenty fourth. It came out in only nine locations across the country. Anyone guesses? It was somewhere in New York or LA. LA. (laughs) And uh, the movie didn't open wide uh, until August thirty first. And and you know now here's the interesting thing. This is a Sony picture. Sony is a major studio within its right. Uh, Spider Man. They're gonna have Venom coming out. They've had a. They've had actually a pretty decent year. They too compared are getting, to the first few years or like well, the last few years. they're getting back up on their feet after the hack. Mm-hmm. They've had major changes going on. They're getting back up on their feet. So this movie was wide for them. It's twelve hundred locations, which by blockbuster standards, Not they're about lot. three thousand short. But still, um. You know, it's not. It's just interesting that they would take this movie. At, I mean, I've seen the trailer uh, a few I, I times. Saw it a few times in yeah. the movie theater. Saw it on. Um, you know, I, I've seen advertising on TV, but it was an interesting way to to roll out this film. And as soon as they started rolling it out, even in the nine locations, it was getting really, it was getting really solid reviews. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes, you got ninety one percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so. The critics were really enjoying this movie. And again, this could have gone, this experiment could have gone horribly, horribly wrong when you think about it. Right. It, it, right like it just it could have been Happy Time Murders. Like, mm-hmm. or it could have been like, um, you know, the, the, those other like Dark Web, uh, Unfriended. Uh, right. It could have sort of kind of been like 
a movie like those as well. Right. Now, I didn't see Unfriended because I think that movie is like listed as a horror thriller. And right. Marissa doesn't do horror. <laughs> so I didn't go see this one. But I think what also helps in this film is that you do have already established actors. You have Deborah Messing and John Cho. So right. that does help bring an audience. Right. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. And um, do you have the numbers? I'm trying to bring them up here. And uh, uh, yes, yeah, so internet, as so. of September 5th, I have uh, domestically <clears throat> it's made about 9.5 million. Um, so give or take, you know, maybe half a million of that. Foreign, uh, it's at like a little bit over 7 million. So worldwide, right. it's about 16.5. Which is okay, you know, not yeah. too bad. Again, you know, I'm sh- I'm actually uh, what are we looking at? Yeah, sixteen and a half uh, domestic, nine and a half foreign. You know, you got to look at it too. From a foreign perspective, you look at okay, who's going to bring in the box office? Seven million isn't too bad for this movie. Look, I love John Cho, and but this I would... is a fairly lower production production. Oh, maybe. absolutely! They're going to make their money back. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely! And look, no slight. I, I don't mean in no disrespect. I mean, but John Cho isn't a a like a huge box office like bringer in like yeah, people, draw. but a draw. And um, but still, I would say that. 16 and a half worldwide, not too shabby. Um, you got they released it like an art film, and mm-hmm. I, I only not, and I don't disagree with going out on nine and then going wider. I wish they had maybe gone even wider than 1200, like go 25 because your reviews were there, and I really do think that. The audience and audience, I think whoever sees this is really going to enjoy it for what it is. And they're going to be brought in. The audience I saw it with was really, they stayed to the end on their edge of their seat. Like they, yeah. My hot. audience plotted after yeah. this film ended. They yeah. like legit applauded. And I mean, and this, this film premiered at Sundance. It got great rave reviews mm-hmm. already there. So well that, you know, Sundance, or like Sony bought them within 12 hours and they won They won the next audience award at Sundance and they also won the Alfred P. Sloan Feature Film Prize for works pertaining to science or technology. So this film already had accolades before yeah. it went to wide theaters. Yeah, and, you know, the thing is is that I haven't seen a stronger push for its subsequent weeks because, well, this week it's going to go up against The Nun, which is unfortunate because, I mean, The Nun's going to be really big. Yeah, and this is part of a world this is going to do, by all accounts, it's going to do very well. And then Searching, I think, sort of kind of is going to get just lost in the tide pool. Yeah, Searching had Labor Day weekend for them. It did, but... I have to say it was probably one of the weakest Labor Days going into going yeah, into Labor Day. Nothing. Really no other movies. And and I wanted to see Searching. I almost wish uh, Sony just gave it a little more TLC, like push it out more, mm-hmm. like make a big deal of this because this is a really good movie. Cheat it a little bit if you want to. Maybe cheat it as if it were a horror film. Get that teen audience to go in there because they're going to like it. They're mm-hmm. going to like it. 
Um, it's not boring at all. It's paced pretty well. Yeah, uh, not once did I lose my attention. Nay, nay, <laughs> nay, nay. So, uh, yeah, uh, what are your, let's let's let, let's go. Final thoughts. Uh, we'll start wrapping up this search. And you know, I really enjoyed it because I went into it not knowing what to expect, and I came out like mind blown. I would actually see this film a few more times just to pick up like other things I might have missed because there is so much on screen. It's basically impossible to catch everything. So, missing catfish. I would definitely see this film again. You, you bring this up a rewatchability. You bring up a good point because this is one of those movies that I wonder if they purposely left clues for us to try to figure it out. Oh yeah, they you know actually I mean? uh, Shiganti and Ohanian. Um, they had private screenings for their friends. They gave like the they legitimately had their friends watch the film yeah. and then break down like the shots in the script and they're like could you pick up on any of the clues we showed you um that that would give away the ending and and so so people it like just like me they 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 gauge whether people were p- fully paying attention and what they paid attention to compared to like the magic trick like your your attention is here but actually right. the answer is like on the left side of the screen instead of the right interesting so like they had the details in front of you but were you so they were there yeah well you know and the thing is is that i believe that i was paying attention i was I, i'll put it i was I'm using the word again i was engrossed mm-hmm. i was drawn into this movie and they did such a good job that when the reveal comes and the mystery is solved I was like, whoa, all right, I didn't see that coming. That that works. That really worked. And, you know, it's it's interesting when you rewatch movies like, say, The Usual Suspects, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's got a great rewatchability because in a movie like that, Brian Singer does leave you the clues mm-hmm. throughout. But it's just not plain in your face. Like they're not putting an arrow to. So this movie doesn't put an arrow, right? And that I think is part of the enjoyment of rewatching a movie like that. I think the same is going to hold true for watching, rewatching, searching. Like you'll Mm -hmm. go, oh, how did I miss? Okay, yeah. Now I know how it ends. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it was there. Wow, that's smart. So it's a really good movie. Glad you've seen it. Tell your friends to go see it. Uh, Marissa, where mm-hmm. can people find you? Everyone can follow me everywhere at Serafini TV. And, but you're on other shows here on the Popcorn Talk Network. Yeah. yeah. Well, or, or Anatomy or, <laughs> I do or, or Anatomy After movie, Buzz. Um, our sister network, After Buzz TV. Sure. I, just, I do a lot. <laughs> go you, check She it does out. do a lot. Uh, and again, my name is Dimitri. Uh, you can f- support me on Twitter at DMovies1701. Please uh, support. Uh, I usually send out a ton of tweets about movies because I love movies. Uh, you find me here in Anatomy of a Movie, Popcorn Talks Anatomy of a Movie. I'm also a frequent guest on uh, Popcorn Talk Network's Meet the Movie Press. We have mm-hmm. a ton of fun talking about the biz, and it's about movies. Uh, we have a lot of fun doing that. So uh, please join us. We've got more movies coming up in the month of September and October. We are on the fringe. We're on the precipice of award season. season. You know, uh, the second trailer for Halloween dropped this week. I can't wait. That's going to be in October. But there's plenty of movies between now and then. Uh, Hey, if you missed a show or you saw something on HBO or something, 
nine out of ten times, we broke it down. Go on to Anatomy of a Movie and check us all out. And you'll you guys talk about out. Unfriended? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Go yeah, check we talk out about that horror movies. Uh, you know, we'll be talking about The Nun. Maybe not you. Maybe, not Maybe you will. Yeah, come on, Let's The see. Nun. Uh, lots so, of movies. Lots We've of been movies. here for five years. <laughs> five years with 600 shows under our belt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, folks, for tuning in. We're glad you found us. We're glad you f- we found you. You searched for us. See you later. <laughs> From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of its owners or principals.